Hi, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. My uh, wife, Kristen, listened to an episode recently, and she had this really interesting observation. She said, you know, in the beginning, you tell people what you're up to, and then you get done with that part, and you move into the whatever it is you're talking about part. Um, but she said you fly through that opening part. It's almost like you're trying to get through that sort of little list you have going of all the things you got going on and things you want to tell people about. You sort of race through that in order to get to the second part. But she said, I actually think it's really interesting what you're up to and why you do it. She said, we, we always find it interesting why people do what they do and how they're making it and what sort of brought them to the point of doing the things that they're doing. So she said, you should, you should just feel free to slow down and tell people why you're doing whatever it is that you're doing and why it matters to you and, and what it means to you. And then she reminded me that we had um, been listening to this fascinating interview with Noel Gallagher recently. Noel Gallagher, uh, songwriter, singer with the band Oasis, and now he's doing Noel Gallagher and the High Flying Birds, and he just continues to make extraordinary music. And we had been driving across the desert to from L.A. to Phoenix and been listening to this podcast. My friend Pete Holmes had uh, interviewed Noel Gallagher, and we were listening to this interview, and I it was just fascinating. And uh, Noel Gallagher talked about not wanting to go out on tour, and his wife saying, no, you need to go. And he was talking about his kids, and he was talking about uh, one night he went back to his hotel room, and he was drunk, and he wrote this song uh, on an acoustic guitar that he had in his hotel room, and he got done with it late in the you know, middle of the night, and he thought to himself, that's a pretty good song. And then later, it turns out that song was Don't Look Back in Anger, which if you're an Oasis uh, fan is like just just one of just an unbelievable song. So he has all these Noel Gallagher's telling all these fascinating stories and people he's met and ways he sees about things. And I was just riveted. And Kristen said, "See, like you found that so interesting. So don't feel like you need to rush through the first part of your podcast in order to get to whatever it is the topic or the talk that you're going to be doing." Uh, but you should like just tell people about what you're up to and what made you do it and why you're doing it. And uh, she's always right, pretty much. So, uh, and I thought about my own life when there's somebody that I'm asking questions of about how did they make this thing that they're making? How did they get involved in this? How did they end up doing whatever it is they're doing? When they tell me stories about how they were really good at it and nothing ever went wrong and it's pretty much been easy, well, first off, you almost never hear stories like that. But when you do, somehow, either you don't believe the person, you're like, no, no, it, it can't have been that easy. Couldn't have been that easy. Or you feel like they're skipping over something because it's the hard parts that I relate to. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Uh, it's when somebody is telling you about the thing that they're doing, especially if it's somebody I notice who it looks to me like they just got it figured out from day one. Uh, there are people who I just look at, they're like, they're probably always the smartest. They were probably always a step ahead of everybody. But when I hear them tell about how they got into whatever work they're doing and how they got to where they got, have you noticed how people talk about trials and struggles and perseverance, uh, 
it's like we always, in the end, what we're most moved by, what I'm most inspired by is not somebody who like every shot they put up went in. I'm inspired when people tell me about how hard it was and how they wanted to quit and yet they kept going and somehow they got here. Because you have your work in the world and so do I. We have whatever it is that we're here to do. And it's easy to get stuck and overwhelmed and discouraged. It's easy to wonder what the point of all of it is. Anybody listening ever had that feeling? You're driving into work and you just have this like thud in your heart, like what is the point of any of this? But you, you, when you keep going, that's interesting. And when it's difficult and you get back up and you dust yourself off and you press on, that's interesting. It isn't the people who skate by effortlessly because no one really does. It's it's the beautiful thing of seeing someone doing their thing in the world and they just keep at it. And that is inspiring. I remember uh, I was sitting in a meeting in uh, 2005 and I was the pastor of a church at the time. We'd started the church seven, six years earlier in 1999. And uh, I'd been reading a, a bunch of quantum physics and uh, I had been seeing all these connections between quantum physics and the first chapter of the Bible, the poetry of Genesis 1, you know, standard content. <laughs> and uh, I kept coming up, I kept seeing all these connections and I, and I would like do these little really simple primitive drawings because I don't know how to draw about how to sort of illustrate these connections that I was making. And uh, I kept picturing like a giant whiteboard and I remember thinking, wouldn't it be, like, I would love to do this for people, to show people all of this, but it would take like a huge, I need a huge white space, like a giant whiteboard. And I think I would start in the upper left-hand corner, and then I would just fill in the whole whiteboard with these drawings. Um, but I was uh, the senior pastor of this church, and we were talking about budgets and strategy and concerns of people in the church and and uh, the vision of where we were headed next and the sort of uh, plans and steps we had put in place. And so these meetings uh, were filled, like when I'd sit in these meetings, it would it, around the table were, were people who got a paycheck from being there because these were people who worked in the church and this was serious and everybody was all in and it was an incredible amount of work. And I remember uh, we had so many people coming. We had so many kids in the kids' classrooms that they were literally having discussions like there's not enough oxygen in the kids' classrooms. We were having these surreal discussions. And so these really committed, talented, smart people were sitting around the table doing their work. But in, And I'd be listening, but in my head, I'd be thinking about quantum physics and the, the poetry of Genesis 1 and picturing how big would the whiteboard need to be. But I couldn't say that. You know what I mean? I couldn't in the meeting just been like, I'm sorry, I wasn't listening. I was thinking about this other thing. And by then I'd realized that this thing that I was working on, I, I started calling it everything is spiritual. Um, and I was like, I think this, I think I should do this talk. But the talk by that point, I'd been working on it for a while. It was like an hour, hour and a half, hour and 45 minute talk. I didn't even really know what it was. I just knew that I had this thing I was working on um, but I didn't live in a world that really knew what to do with that. 
I was trained as a pastor. I went to seminary. I got a master's degree in divinity. And, and I was trained essentially that there's that when you're a pastor, then you're a leader and you wear these two hats. Well, you wear 90 hats. Um, but you wear these two main hats. One is you're a leader. And then the other, you do like the teaching, the preaching, the speaking, the like communicating. And so sometimes you were in meetings and you were talking about budgets and strategy and you were talking about strategery and, and, and hiring people and making sure that you had all the people in the right place. And then uh, there was this other hat, the communicator hat, which was the working on messages and giving sermons. And then there were like 50 other hats, which was like weddings and funerals and going to visit people in prison and going to the hospital and just all those other things. But here's, what, here's why I tell you this. What had happened to me is when I was working on these ideas I had in my head for sermons, and we were making some short films called Numas. And when I got this idea about quantum physics and Hebrew poetry, when I was doing that work, it like, it just filled me with so much life and hope. And it was really, really hard work and it exhausted me. And yet it had this flow. But when I was trying to be the leader of an institution that had 80 employees and 3,000 volunteers, and I don't know how many people were coming to the church at that time, lots and lots of people. When I was trying to do that, it just killed me. It just sucked the life right out of me. They were both hard work. Um, they both had all of these challenges, but the one just beat me down. And the other, no matter how hard it was, it filled me with like, this is why you're here. It was like there was this voice in my head going, this is why you're here. When I was working uh, on my first book, when I was messing around with these ideas and drawings for everything is spiritual, it was like, this is why you're here. This is why you're here. But I was part of a system that worked in a particular way. The person who's the leader is also the teacher. And those two hats are the two hats that person wears. And I was beginning to realize, wait, those are two different hats. And they require very different skills and different temperaments. And that one making things and sharing them with people, trying to inspire and guide people with teaching, with these short films and sermons and talks, that's a particular hat. And I, man, I was born for that. But this other hat, this leader of a large institution hat, I'm not very good at it. I could mess up a one-car parade. It's just not me. But I was part of a system that worked in a particular way that had these understandings and assumptions and rules and conventional wisdom about how it works. Are we starting to sound familiar, my friends? But I had this sense that my path didn't look like any path that I'd seen ar around me. I had the sense that I was here to make these things. And I kept having these ideas, as my friend Glennon says, she says, you ever feel like you're being attacked by ideas? I felt like I had these ideas of things that I needed to make, and that was all that mattered, just make these things. But I was in meeting after meeting, being expected to do this other job that I really didn't know how to do, and it was just killing me. It was like there was this voice deep within me, telling me about my true self. 
And so I spent an extraordinary amount of time in meetings feeling guilty about all the things I wasn't doing. And then in meetings about those meetings, being reminded of all the things that I wasn't very good at. I can't tell you how much time we spent discussing things that I wasn't very good at. Um, but I kept having the sense, yeah, but there are other people who could do that. And not only could they do it, but they could do it way better than me. And not only could they do those other things way better than me, they'd actually enjoy it. They'd actually be thinking, I was made for this. And I remember going, there was a, a really well-known, respected pastor, and I remember going to him for wisdom, because I was like, I'm in a jam here because I'm supposed to be leading this thing, but it's, I'm dying. And if I had more time, if I could just pursue these things that I know I'm supposed to be doing, oh, it'd be such a great life. I would gladly give up this, I, I'm begging someone to wear this other hat. I remember meeting with him and uh, I remember I talked to him about the art and I had all this art I needed to make, which was, not, which was not the word that he wanted to hear. And he was like, I'll tell you what you can do with your art. And in a really kind way, he just crushed me. And he's like, you need, uh, he basically told me the opposite of what every fiber in my being was telling me. I'll never forget it. We met in his office and I had some friends who came with me to the meeting. And I just said, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm spinning here because there's like, and I explained to him this two hats thing. It's got all this stuff I got to make. Um, and I have, I have all this, I'm, I, I have all this art I'm trying to create. But then I also have this large institution I'm supposed to be leading. And, I, and he basically was like, well, maybe your art has to suffer a little bit. Um, and he just crushed me. And he was like, no, you're supposed to do this thing that you don't want to do. And you need to give up that other, you need to sort of back off on that other thing. And I'll never forget, it was like, Oh my word, it was just like getting punched in the face. We went out in the hallway and one of my friends literally said, oh my word, I've never seen an ass kicking like that. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I'm sure like you, you, you wanna make sure you're getting wisdom. You, you wanna talk to the village elders, right? You, you wanna make sure you're not like crazy. And so you ask for, for counsel and wisdom, but in that situation, it was so like, no. I know I, I, that doesn't that that everything within me says that's not my path. The voice, like that inner nudging, that humming, that that true self, the you that is the you that is the you. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, it wouldn't go away. Sometimes people say like, "How do you find your path in the world?" Uh, sometimes I just think, "Well, what doesn't go away?" Uh, What's the fire that just doesn't go out? What's the question that just keeps raising its head in your life? Uh, what is it like that? Uh, a few podcasts ago, I talked about that. What that prophet Jeremiah said. It's like a. It's like a heart. It's in your heart like a fire. A fire shut up in your bones. I love that line. A fire shut up in your bones. I am weary of holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. What is it that you can't hold in? What is it that just keeps, like a kick drum, just, <clears throat> it just keeps pounding on your heart. And here's why I talk about all this. Life is hard enough, isn't it? Would you agree? Like life is difficult enough. You might as well do something that makes you feel alive. Are you with me on this? Like life will throw you enough heartache. It will throw you enough challenges. It will knock you down enough. Uh, you might as well do something that makes you feel alive. You might as well give everything you have to enjoy it because whatever you're doing is going to be hard. So you might as well have a smile on your face. There's going to be enough struggle. 
And so gradually, as I look, it's like it's interesting. You look back on your life and you see sort of the growing evolution of your path. Um, I just over and over got these ideas and made them. So uh, I had this idea for a book, and uh, so I made this book called Velvet Elvis. I'd never written a book before, and uh, I knew how it needed to look on the page. There needed to be lots of space. And I knew that it needed to be less pages more th rather than more. And I knew there needed to be short, narrow paragraphs, even the way that it was arranged on the page. And people were like, well, you can't do that. Books don't look like that. You fill in the whole page. And I was like, no, I think I need to have space. There needs to be space for people to think and breathe. Uh, and then I worked very, very hard to make the book short. And people were like, well... It, it makes you look smarter if the book is longer. And I was like, no, I think actually it takes, it's harder work and it, it's, it, you have to work smarter to make the book shorter because you actually have to carve out all the stuff that's in the way. Um, so I just sort of had this sense, I guess this is what a book needs to look like. The first cover of that first book was plain white and we had the title way up in the top and it was hard to read even who the book was by. And the publisher was like, you can't put out a plain white cover. And I was like, yeah, but I think it needs to be white. It just needs to be a plain white cover with my name and the title in very, very small letters running vertically up top. I don't know what that was other than, other than you have this sense of how it, it, you're supposed to do it and you have to be true to that. You know what I'm talking about. And if you look around and you're wondering why other people aren't doing the thing that way, it's because you're the one who's to do that. And so you watch and you learn and you ask lots of questions and you seek the wisdom of people who are smarter and older and more mature than you. But then you have to ask how you would do it. Uh, and then you have to pursue that. That's how it works. I remember one time I was speaking at this event with, uh, you know, Malcolm Gladwell from Blink uh, and David and Goliath, this amazing writer. I was speaking after him at this, at this event in an arena. And I'm down like in the bowels of the arena. And this guy walks up to me and he says, hi, I'm so-and-so. I'm from such and such group. And I don't have any idea who this guy is. And I don't have any idea what such and such group is. And, he, and, and, he, and I was like, hi, I'm Rob. And he says, here's what I want to talk to you about. He says, I, uh, my firm, we do research for people like you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, like my, uh, I and my team, you can hire us and then we'll do all of the research for your talks and your books. And I was like, wait, I do that. Like I spend hours reading and studying and listening like so that the things that I'm saying, like I go find things. Uh, and he's like, well, my team, like you can hire us and we'll do all that for you. And then... <laughs> He starts to list all of these fancy pants, big time Christian speakers who he who hire him to do all their work for him. And I'm literally like I'm half in shock and I'm half doubled over laughing so hard. He's like, so and so. Oh, yeah, we do all about it was all it was all men. Interestingly enough, um, we do all we do all their stuff. And it just struck me like that is completely crazy. I was like, and then they tell everybody that you do the work for them. Like, he's like, what? Like, those weren't questions that he apparently found that interesting. <laughs> but the truth is, there's a way things are done. 
in whatever it is that you're doing. And whatever it is that you do each day, there's probably a conventional wisdom, an agreed upon way that it's done. And there may be moments, at least there have been for me, a thousand of them, when to keep being you, you have to go against how it's been done. There are moments when you challenge the system and you subvert the dominant paradigm. The people that I know who are thriving, who, who are doing meaningful, and I would add enjoyable work in the world, you go back and you ask them questions. And one of the things I, I, I'm assuming you've heard on all the people I've been interviewing um, for the Robcast is you notice there are these key moments when there was a way it's done and it wasn't that they were ignorant of how it's done. Essentially, you have to know the rules in order to break them. And what's interesting, you just see this pattern. People, they do the internship, they get mentored, they do the master's degree, whatever it is, you learn the rules, you learn how the system works, you take all of the wisdom of the system, but then there are these defining moments when you leave that well-worn path and you head out on your path. It doesn't mean that you're angry or that you're rejecting all of the intelligence. No, you take all that intelligence and hard-earned wisdom with you and you use it. You just, there are these key moments when you often, to be who you are, you have to challenge the system. When you raise a child, uh, how you arrange your business, how you organize your day, what you spend your money on. When you listen to people talk who are doing fresh, new, innovative things, they had this inner voice, this nudge, this dream, this fire that just wouldn't go out. And the moments when you take a step towards whatever it is are often moments when you are going against the conventional wisdom and assumptions. And oftentimes you're breaking some rules. Are there some rules you've accepted that you don't have to? Are there assumptions you have about how things are done and you need to challenge that assumption. I cannot tell you how many people I have met with who have this thing that they know is them. It's their beating heart. It's their true self. It's their path. And they'll say, yeah, but you know, people my age don't. I'll be like, wait, what do you mean? People your age don't, whatever that. Or, or you know what? That would take money. Wait, 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 that's your only problem? As a friend of mine says, any problem that can be solved with money is not an interesting problem. Or you'll hear somebody say, yeah, but no one around me is doing that. Since when is someone else not walking your path an excuse for you not to walk your path? And often, to be true to who you are, there will be some sort of disruption. There will be some sort of departure uh, because rarely do systems have room for someone to do it some other way. It doesn't know what to do with that. It may be a family system, it may be a workplace, maybe a neighborhood, it may be all the people that you are trained with, but often the most life-giving steps forward into our true path and into our true self will involve some sort of disruption. And we look around wondering, why doesn't everybody get it? Why doesn't everybody understand? Why isn't everybody doing it this way? That's why it's fresh and new and it's innovative and it's your path because if everybody was doing it, it wouldn't be anything new. But you being you, that's interesting. And that will always require these key moments. I've never 
really had a grand plan other than making the next thing and then sharing it with people. Uh, making things and doing events and creating space where people can meet the divine. For me, the, the, the guiding thing was always, what's the next thing I got to make? Uh, and there's the joy in making it. That's where the joy is. And then there's like this uh, frosting on the cake. There's this grace upon grace, which is when you make something and it actually does something for people. Uh, but for me, there was never any grand plan. It was just make the next thing. And what's fascinating to me is how many people that I meet and you think, oh, surely they're working some sort of seven-year plan. And then you meet them and you find out, no, they're actually just taking the next step that's right in front of them. Uh, and what I've also noticed is how often somebody is taking that next step, but then they're spending an extraordinary amount of energy trying to name it or label it or understand it. But here's the thing, that's energy that you could spend doing it. I bet 90% of the energy I spent writing my first book, Velvet Elvis, was head games. Am I a writer? Could I be an author? Am I any good? Is this any good? I'd type a paragraph and then spend as much time wondering if the par paragraph was any good than as much time as I spent actually writing that paragraph. Does that make sense? Like I type it and be like, man, some people are actual writers. What am I doing writing a book? Type another paragraph. Am I an author? Could I even be an author? Here's the thing. Stop trying to name it or label it and just enjoy the fact that you get to do this. So uh, I bring people good news. Um, I'm trying to spread the message that everything is spiritual. I'm trying to help people wake up. Even when I try to describe the, the work, I end up with being able to describe it 50 different ways. One time um, on a Sunday afternoon, I noticed there was a piece of paper sticking out of our mailbox. And I pulled it out and it was actually, it was a piece of sandpaper with a painting on it. And on the back, it was signed um, by this painter who lived in our town, this really good uh, painter. And so I called him and I said, thank you so much. He had dropped off this piece of art and just put it in our mailbox. And it was a picture of a ladder going up into the sky. And then above the ladder were clouds and there was a string that had been tied around some of the clouds to tie them together. That's the painting. And it was done on this piece of sandpaper. It was very uh, interesting looking. And so I call the artist, and I, I really respected his work for a while, and I said, thank you so much. You dropped off this painting. And he says, yeah. He says, I, I came and heard you speak today. And he says, I finally figured out what it is you do. And I said, what's that? And he says, you tie the clouds together. <laughs> and I was like, what? I tie the clouds together. He said, yeah. He said, we all have these clouds above our heads. Our fears, our doubts, our worry, our, insecure, our, our insecurities, our anxieties, our hopes, our dreams, our joys, uh, the goals we have for our career, our desires for our kids. We all have these clouds, these questions we have about life and death and joy and suffering. And we, we have these clouds that float above us. And he says, what you do with your work is you help tie the clouds together so everything makes a little more sense and it's a little more coherent. <laughs>
But try using that as your job description. What do you do? Uh, Hi, I'm Rob. I tie clouds together. (laughs) And yet, that's probably the best description I've ever heard of it. And yet, try using that. Uh, But if you stand at a distance from your life and you endlessly try to define it and crisply articulate it and figure out what the title is... uh, you may end up really frustrated. There's a sense in which we do know and we don't know. I do know that I work very hard on my craft, just like you. I do know that there is this accumulated wisdom you can pick up over the years. I do know that I'm trying to become the kind of person who lives the kind of life, who can do the kind of work that I know I'm here to do, just like you, right? Like there are these things that you know, whether you sell insurance or you're a mom or you're a school teacher or whatever it is that you do, there are these hard skills that you can pick up on and you do know. You, there are disciplines and rituals. There's a body of knowledge. You can become educated. You can read about this. You can go to school. There are practices. There's hard work. There's, all, there's the years that you put in. There's the 10,000 hours. There's the element that you do know. And then there's this giant mystery and there's all of it that you don't know that you don't understand, that you don't understand how it works. You just show up and you do it. And what I find fascinating is the people I know who are thriving, who are, who are actually finding joy in their life and in their work in the world. There is always this interesting interplay and dance between what we do know and what we don't know. And even the most, what we would consider successful people, you talk to them and they're like, yes, I showed up extra early. I was in the gym till late at night. I stayed up with that child to the wee hours of the morning. People talk about we, we, went, we worked on weekends. Like people tell all those sorts of stories. And then they also say, and then a bunch of things went our way <laughs> and we got lucky. And this opportunity came our way. There is this element that you do know. And then there's this element that you don't know. Everybody is just trying to figure it out. Even the people who you assume have it all figured out are just figuring it out one day, one month, one year, one project at a time. That's how it works. You listen to your life and you pay very careful attention to your heart and you ask the wisdom and counsel of people around you who you respect And sometimes it all confirms exactly the direction you're headed. Sometimes you realize, oh, at this point I depart. I have to take a slightly different path. I remember uh, a year ago when I started doing these Robcasts and I thought I should interview some people, but I realized I don't know how to interview people. I guess the only way to learn how to interview people is just to interview people. So some of you have been like, oh my word, that interview that Rob did, the person was fascinating, but he is a terrible interviewer. That's because I was literally just on this podcast learning how to interview because that's how it works is you just listen to the next thing and then you just throw yourself into it and you figure it out as you go. Or uh, last fall, I got to release this novel for free, Millones Cajones. You can get it on my site. How do you write a novel? I don't know. You just try it. And then last summer, I uh, was touring and was doing the Everything is Spiritual tour. 
And the way that it worked is, is like this music would be playing and I would be backstage and then there was this big loud song that I would walk out, do like a two hour talk and then thank everybody for coming. Then I would walk off stage and later go out and um, meet people and do photos and give people hugs and all that. But last summer as I was touring, I was thinking there's got to be some way to totally deconstruct like the performance element of this tour. There's got to be some way to do a new kind of tour. And then at that time, I was working on my next book. And uh, I knew the book. Are you ready for a big announcement, everybody? My new book is coming out March 8th. Um, and the book is called How to Be Here. And all of a sudden it hit me, oh, I know what I should do. When the book comes out, I should do a whole new kind of tour experience. So uh, this is the official announcement of my book, How to Be Here, which is coming March 8th. And then I'm going to start a tour which will run from March, April, May, and June. And uh, one of the things I kept thinking is so many of you have said you'd love to come to one of my day-long or two-day-long events here in LA, but you can't because you have work and kids and travel and hotels and all that. It's just, so I thought, what if instead of, uh, for the first half of this year, instead of doing those events that I do here in LA, what if I did them around the country? And then I thought, well, a lot of people, you know, have a Monday through Friday job. So what if we did an all-day Saturday tour stop? Because when it's just a couple of hours with you, I want to be with you all more. And then one of my favorite things is Q&A. When you can, you talk about, you ask whatever you want to ask, and then we can like really get into it and go some interesting places. So I was like, there's got to be some event that people who work Monday, Friday could come to. It's got to be longer than two hours. It's got to have all sorts of interaction. And then I kept thinking, how could I deconstruct essentially the entire sort of tour event? So what we've done as we've rented uh, art galleries and dance halls and uh, event spaces around the country. And we're going to do the How to Be Here experience. Uh, we're going to do it in Denver, Chicago, Miami, Austin, Minneapolis, Portland, Tulsa, Brooklyn. Um, and then we have a number of other cities that are pending right now that we'll be announcing shortly. Um, but we're going to do a Saturday event, like I think 10 to 6 in most cities. And we're doing flat floored rooms with the chairs in the round. So the chairs will be in like a series of concentric circles. And then I'll be walking in among the chairs. And I'll be essentially picking up. Um, I'm so excited for you to read the new book. You can pre-order it now. And I actually went through and signed a ton of them. My, my hand hurt that many. <laughs> That's the official amount that when you've signed enough is that your hand hurts. Um, but the book is called How to Be Here. And it's all about being fully present to your life. So you don't feel like you're missing a thing. And um, I'll be telling you more about it as we get closer to the book coming out. But uh, I signed a bunch of copies so you can pre-order at the Barnes and Noble site and get uh, there's a limited first edition run um, that you can get now. And then you go to robbell.com and you'll see how to be here experience, 
uh, the tour, you can start getting tickets. Um, and all the tickets will be up in the next couple of weeks, but a bunch of them are available right now. And I uh, want to come to your town. And I try, we tried to pay attention to those of you um, who had made the most noise about you should come to our town. And so um, I'm going to spend the whole day with you and we'll essentially take the ideas in the book and then launch, we'll blast off into all sorts of new territory. And I have all sorts of things from the book. The book's like a has all these ideas and then we'll take it from there and then we'll interact and we'll meet and it'll be so much fun. Or it could totally bomb. <laughs> Do you see how it works? That's how it works, is you just try things and you throw yourself into it with great joy. And nobody could show up. It could be me and you in Portland. It could be me and you and your three friends in Tulsa. But here's the thing. We're going to have so much fun. Just, I guess it would be the four of us that it'll be totally great. And that's the way that it works is you just keep trying things. And you just keep listening to what would be the next thing? What would be the next thing that would fill me with life? Because if it doesn't fill you with life, the way that it works is you with life overflowing in you, that overflow spills out onto those around you. That's how it works. You pay attention to your inner life because you have this interior life. You have longing, desire, and you have pain and suffering. You have this, all this giant cauldron, all of us do, but you pay attention to that. And you work through that and you listen to that voice deep within you that keeps insisting on your true self. There's this great in the Christian tradition where Jesus talks about uh, him and us, us and him. He essentially says, you and me, me and you. There's this tradition of the inner Christ wisdom, this truth that keeps reminding you who you are and why you're here, uh, that you're loved, it's good that you're here. It's not just good, it's great. And you will completely balls up a number of things. You will make a total mess of things. I know I have. That's just how it works, and it's okay. Uh, money is way overrated. It's nice, and when there isn't enough money, it's insanely stressful. But you're going to make some money, and you're going to lose some money. You're going to make some wise decisions, and you're going to make some stupid decisions, right? Uh, but you can't let it have too much power over you. It's important. So don't deny it, but don't give it too much power. The defining moments in your life will probably come when you burst through, when you make decisions to be fully alive, independent of what other people think of you or the financial implications. You simply listen to whatever that fire is within you that won't go out. There will be moments that are quite small. No one may notice them but you. But you will know that this little step you're taking, you haven't taken before. You might try something new. You, you might uh, enter into some new territory. The people around you may not pick up on a thing, but you will know how huge it is. Every single thing that I've gotten to be a part of that was meaningful, it began with me having some sort of experience all alone. I tasted something, learned something, saw something I hadn't seen before. I felt something, I woke up. It always starts very, very personal. 
And then it always involved some risk, some leap, some moment when I knew if I am true to this, I will in some way be taking another step down my path. And I may and often be not walking down the path that everybody's walked down a thousand times. That's just how it works. Listen to your life. It's so good that you are here. And uh, so even the fact that I get to make a podcast and I get to tell you these stories and I get to tell you about my new book, which I'm so excited about, and then hopefully come to your city and we get to spend a whole Saturday together. Actually, one of the things we did in trying to start each one at 10 a.m. was trying to draw a circle around each city and figure you could get up at seven or eight that morning and still get there. So the circle then becomes a couple hours uh, around that people could come to these events. And I think we're going to have so <laughs> much fun. And I hope that these events, I hope that you have experiences that just change the game for you. I love hearing when people say they come to my event and then they go home and they quit their job or they move or they recommit themselves to being more present where they're at. I just love that stuff. Um, so the how to be here, the book, how to be here, the tour, which is the how to be here experience. That's how it works. You just try things and you see what happens and you throw yourself into it and you enjoy it even when it's difficult because we're here and we get to do this and we get to try this. Grace and peace, my friends. <laughs>